Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Too Many Books. I'm Jack Wilkie, one of your two hosts. Jack Dodgen isn't with us this time, uh, but we've got a, a special uh, treat in store for you guys this time, something we don't do a lot of, but we're, we're wanting to do more of is author interviews. We've only had one previously, but uh, we're very excited to have Lance Mosier with us. Lance is a missionary in New Zealand. He'll tell us a little bit of his story here in a minute, but we're interviewing him about his new book, Searching for Brandon Basin. I've been reading it. It's a very interesting book, very fascinating book, and it's the first fictional book we've we've covered in too many books history. Usually it's some dry old theology uh, book <laughs> from some year or another, but uh, this is this is a new book. In fact, it's coming out right around the time you're hearing this podcast. We're recording in advance, so we're not sure quite yet, but we're very excited to have Lance with us. Lance, uh, thanks for joining. Thank you very much, Jack, for having me. All right, so tell us a little bit about yourself first. All right, thanks. Uh, in 2003, I became a Christian. Uh, I was not raised in a, an actively practicing Christian home. Uh, we were taught some very good things. My sister and I, we were taught how to pray. We were taught that using God's name in vain is equivalent to using a swear word. Uh, going to church Christmas, Easter, that was sometimes important. But beyond that, that was religion. Until in 2003, um, when my co-worker decided to start talking to me about Jesus while we were flipping burgers together. And that opened up my world uh, to religious things and asking questions and seeking the truth about God. And then soon after that, a seed was planted into my heart to be an evangelist uh, full-time, and in 2010 I started preaching and teaching people privately, uh, preaching for the church in Finger, Tennessee, and then a couple of years later, 2012, my wife and I, we moved to New Zealand, and we've been here for over eight years. We've got two sons. Very cool, very cool, and a very great story. I believe one of your books, Transformed, kind of details that journey of, of you learning the gospel along the way, correct? Yes, that's right. I, I published it in 2013 under a different title. And then in 2015, World Video Bible School got a hold of it, and they published it uh, officially under the title Transformed, A Spiritual Journey. All right, Transformed, A Spiritual Journey. Uh, I know there's another one about the Holy Spirit. Remind me of the title. Clouded by Emotion, Studies on the Holy Spirit and Miracles. That was released last year. Okay, great. Uh, and so this this being your third, but it, it is a, a change. It's, it's going in a different direction. This is fiction. Why fiction? Because I wanted to write something that would be just as effective as Transformed. So Transformed, I wrote, uh, it actually started as a letter to my family because for many years I've been trying to talk to my family about the intimate details about my conversion to Christ. Mm -hmm. But either they wouldn't listen or I never had the opportunity to talk for that long. And so I sat down to write them a letter. And it, long story short, it became a book. And now this book is being used by thousands of people around the world uh, as an evangelistic tool. And Transformed is great for those who are religious, but religiously confused. And I had this story uh, in my mind for someone uh, going through life who wasn't religion, religious, and but he came across religion. All right, so you, well, let's trans transfer from that or transition from that because that leads right into uh, just if you want to give us the uh, the minute synopsis of searching for Brandon Basin. All right, so this might be the elevator, uh, mm -hmm. the elevator pitch. Um, when, before I had um, found out exactly how the the blurb was going to read, it was something like this: um, Brandon is about to graduate high school. 
But life has taught him that ambitions are a waste of time. And so while he waits, whatever the future holds, the present comes crashing down on him. So that was my elevator pitch, but it was very vague. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, should I just read the description that's going to appear on the back of the book? Sure. Go for it. All right. Here it goes. Ever since his mother's death, 17-year-old Brandon Basin has been stuck in the shadow of an abusive stepfather. When a deadly tragedy strikes again, Brandon struggles to contain his anger at the hand he's been dealt, rejecting any notion of a god who cares about him. Suspended from school only weeks before graduation, Brandon stands at a crossroads. Then, unexpectedly, he receives an old cigar box that offers clues to his real father. With nothing more to guide him than a well-loved road map to the Grand Canyon and an old, tattered Bible, Brandon embarks on the adventure of a lifetime, but not before roping his friend in for the ride. Along the way, they meet a good Samaritan with whom they form an unlikely friendship and explore life's big questions. But just when things are looking up, Brandon discovers that what he left behind is much harder to run from than he thought. Join Brandon on his raw, yet touching, coming-of-age journey as he searches for the family he never knew he had. Will he also find the faith he desperately needs? And then the tagline is, how far would you go to learn who you are? All right. Uh, I've read most of it. I haven't finished quite yet. And uh, as such, we won't spoil it for any of the listeners, but it is very much the kind of book that at the end of every chapter, don't start reading it late at night because every chapter is going to end and you're going to go, oh man, I've got to keep going. I mean, it really <laughs> draws you in like that uh, in, in the way the best books do. Uh, and I think that synopsis really captures, again, without giving away too much, just this idea of a journey. Um Tell us a little bit, again, we're not, not trying to spoil anything, but about the religious profile of, of our main character, Brandon. Right. Uh, when I sat down for this book, um, in mid-2017, I was ministering to a friend who had gone through yet a, another life-changing, horrible experience, and he kept citing God's providence in the midst of tragedy, and that really piqued my interest in how people can look at suffering and see that God is trying to lead you somewhere through your suffering. And and since, you know, you look at my life, and my life is pretty good when it comes to that type of things, uh, most of the people that I've, I've been close to that have passed away, they were old. So I've never really, I haven't a little bit, but, you know, not, not the way that some people, and especially not the way that Brandon has dealt with death firsthand. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to explore that through somebody else's experiences and so i crafted brandon's story and um so so the prologue involves his mother when she's still alive but then chapter one fast forwards a couple of years and from that point forward you're in the year 1999 and and brandon uh is still seething over the religious people who with good intentions said some horrible things to him uh we've probably heard people say when when they face death or, or when a family member dies that oh that just must have been god's will or god must have needed them in heaven more than he needed them on earth or the worst one is god just needed another angel right and when when they say those things they have good intentions but in, in most cases they have no idea how much it could actually uh, backfire on them they're trying to paint a religious picture of death but you know if that's your god then he's a needy god i don't want your god and that's that's Brandon's perspective. If God exists, then he has a lot of explaining to do. 
Right. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that it, uh, the book does so well is explore these difficult themes. You know, the problem of evil, pain, and suffering is the biggest challenge outsiders have toward Christianity. And I, I was just talking with a friend today who's been through a number of tragedies. He's, he's a strong Christian. But he was talking about how so much of the time, the literature, the sermons, all that on it is from a very cold, logical standpoint of mm -hmm. explaining the difficult things that happen in life, and here's why, and God's providence, and, you know, we don't know the answers to... And on a logical sense, it works, but not everything in life is strictly logical. There is emotion yeah. in that, and, and I think, you know, that's one of the things your, your book does very well, of, of many things, is... It show this from the inside, the, the emotions of a person who the logical answers don't really matter to them uh, up front, that, that, you know, being handed that pamphlet that just says, well, somebody died, here's why, here's your answers, you know, we're not that cold and, and removed from the situation, and so somebody who's going through tragedy, dealing with those problems, uh, it's a very good look at, from the inside. What are some of the other themes uh, that that you wanted to explore with this book, uh, friendship for sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, not giving it away because it's important. You don't know at this point who is who when it comes to the friend on the back of the book. But mm -hmm. uh, you know the idea of Brandon and his friend going on this physical journey, and then meeting this good Samaritan figure, who um, and it says that they form an unlikely friendship because you put Brandon and this guy next to each other and. They have nothing in common, including their race. Mm -hmm. And so then they're put together uh, and they form this unlikely friendship, which uh, on the surface is great. They're happy. But then there's this tension where one of them is a devout Christian and then Brandon is very uh, antagonistic and pessimistic toward Christianity. And that that rubs against them. And they've got to work out, you know, if I'm going to spend time with you, how are we going to reconcile our differences in beliefs? Right. And that's one of the things I want to ask, and I'll save this question for a few minutes, but I think there are a lot of things reading through this narrative that Christians can learn about evangelism. Mm. Uh, and so we'll, we'll get to that in, in just a minute. As far as some of these themes, uh, you mentioned friendship. We talked about the problem of pain. Uh, one of the ones I found really interesting and I thought was very useful uh, to one with maybe coming from an outside view is the hypocrisy we see in Christians. Um, yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that that was me. Uh, I'm writing, I'm writing my 17 year old version at that point. Mm. Uh, somebody asked me early in the process. So is Brandon like a reflection of you? And in reality, he's he's not mm. because I was never that type of person. I actually see myself in the other two main characters uh, more than I see myself in Brandon. However, that hypocrisy thing that was a big deal for me because um, when I was 15 and 16, I started exploring spiritual questions but not related to christianity um I, I played with necronomicon i played with atheism played with uh karma things like that just because i knew that things must have a bigger explanation but christianity wasn't necessarily for me because of the hypocrisy i saw um the only bible verse that i thought i knew was uh don't judge. That's it. You know, I would tell people the Bible says all the time, don't judge. And yet the people who are judging me the most are, are Christians. And, you know, we know the right way to respond to that. Oh, you got to read the rest of the verse, right? You know, don't judge lest you be judged. And then Jesus talks about how to how to make righteous judgments. But that's not helpful to somebody in my situation because I was. Now, Brandon, 
and his friends are gothic people um now i know over time in the early 2000s that word morphed into emo mm-hmm. uh, when people think of uh people wearing black clothes and stuff they call them emo but back then it was gothic and i was the guy with the jinko jeans with the spikes around his wrist with the black fingernails and man the christians uh, i was like staked to the dogs with the christians around me mm-hmm. they were so quick to judge they didn't care about my character and my personality they just saw a scary kid in my hallway. Let's throw an apple at his head. That's oh. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So th- that's kind of where Brandon's perspective came from. Is my own personal one before I was a Christian, and you know I'll say this as well. Uh, if if you read Transformed, you'll learn um, that I became a Christian in my hometown, and one of the things that surprised me after becoming a Christian is who really was a Christian and who wasn't. And and the way to find out is, you know, I I was baptized and then I started attending worship in the local churches. And I would see one of the Bible class teachers is one of the teachers in my high school. Sometimes that surprised me and sometimes that made a lot of sense. Like I remember my science teacher in seventh grade, he was the coolest guy and he related to every student. And as soon as I realized he was a Christian, I was like, yeah, yeah, that answers all my questions about who he is. But then sometimes I would see somebody like, really? He's a Christian. Do do the rest of the people around here know how he acts in those school hallways, whether I'm talking about a teacher or a student? Wow. And that I felt like for somebody who is is reading this from an outsider's perspective, and and this book would be a very valuable thing to give to someone in that situation, somebody who's not a Christian, I feel like they would relate to that, you know, that they would view Christians as, yeah, that's how I see Christians. And, And on the other hand, we as Christians... It's helpful to see how those actions, like you said, the, the people that you ran into, the people you knew in life, to realize how much our example can either be a, a blessing or a stumbling block uh, to those people on the outside. And so the hypocrisy of Christians, we mentioned the friendship, the, the problem of pain. Uh, one of the ones that, that came up, uh, and it's maybe not explored as deeply, but one that uh, has really gained steam, I guess, even since you wrote the words, is, is racism. And even within the church, uh, something that's explored, as you mentioned, one of the, uh, you know, you have a white main character and, and a black main character. And talk about that a little bit as mm. to, you know, they're, they're on this journey. They're, they're going in places where those tensions do exist. Um, talk about that as part of the story and, and the inclusion of it. Yeah, that was uh, something that, of course, I had to be very careful with. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, with everything going on, now, here in New Zealand, we're only getting a very, very small taste of it. And I'm I'm not one who scours the news websites or the news channels, so I don't really know what's going on in the States, but I can only imagine. And, uh, and of course, I wrote this book before uh, the George Floyd incident. Right. And so now I'm about to release it when all of this tension is so high, but it seems that it's going to be okay. It's not going to backfire on me because I wanted to explore this um, a little bit because one of my best friends is a black guy and and how it's been awkward for me for the times that I didn't know when I should bring that up in our friendship because the differences are obvious, but but at the same time, you're taught that if you don't talk about it, then it doesn't exist in this idea of, well, I should be colorblind, right? And so I didn't know how much of that going into this book I should bring out. But as time went on and as the story fleshed out, I, it kind of came to me. And um, 
PI also thought that uh, it needed to be addressed in the church situation too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't want to give away what happens about a third of the way through the book and how they have to explore that question of the idea of, of the white church versus the black church. I guess versus isn't the right word, but the fact right. that there are what people call the white church and what people call the black church of town. Mm-hmm. And, that, and um, oh, go on. yeah, I'm go sorry. ahead. No, I was jumping in. Go ahead. All right. Well, and, and so one of the things, though, when I was getting close to finishing the book is, once again, I don't want this to backfire on me. I want to teach these spiritual truths, but I don't want people to think I'm I'm basing my ideas and my writing on stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't want people to read it and just feel horribly offended. And so that's where my sensitivity writers come in. And so I got to give them a shout out. I don't think they would want me to name them, but thank you guys for your help. I I reached out to some of my friends and I asked them if they would read through the book um, and and do it intently, not just enjoy the book, but look at it from your perspective is, have I said anything that's based only on stereotypes? Have I said anything that's going to be offensive? And they certainly helped me with that. Yeah, I think, you know, as you mentioned, ahead of, you know, written before the tension and before this really got brought to the forefront again in the way it has, it it, it handles these themes very well. It brings up things that, that have been talked about, that need to be talked about, as you mentioned, the as it relates to the church, as it relates to the world. Uh, and so I think it's just another thing that gives this book a lot of depth. It, it's a good story. As I mentioned, it's a page turner and all that, but we're exploring some of these themes that are unavoidable in life. Uh, these things that we all encounter and deal with and, and, and have to learn and understand. And as, as you said, wanting to get that right and, and being sure to run that by people and uh, make sure the tone was, was what it needed to be. And, and I felt that was, as I mentioned, it's not the major theme. It's not, you know, one of the, the key themes that it stays on, but it, it's something that's in there. And I mm-hmm. think it's something that's very helpful for this time even if it wasn't written with these things in mind and so uh, there's plenty of other uh, deeper subjects to go into I don't want to keep you here all night as as we talk about it but hope and purpose and the big questions in life and all that one of the things I thought was interesting is in recent years especially the last 10 years or so Christian movies has become a, a big industry and with so many of them there's a very uh, I don't, I guess, there, there are different ways to say it, ham-fisted, uh, you know, a little too on the nose, you know, the God's not dead kind of genre. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This explores similar ideas, but it does it in such a better way. Uh, were there things about that kind of thing you were wanting to avoid? Uh, things, I'm kind of putting you on the spot with this one, but I, I thought <laughs> the book did such a good job of handling, looking at an atheist and a Christian and their relationship but not going down the tropes that come up in in that kind of media a lot. Yeah, well, thanks for that very much. Um, When I had this idea in my mind, but I didn't have it on paper yet, Mm -hmm. I described it as a raw, gritty, coming-of-age story. Mm -hmm. And when when I gave that pitch to my friend Lucy, she said, you gotta make sure that you follow through with that. Because too much Christian fiction these days is fluffy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, she was right. Um, and I appreciated that so much because, and one of my early readers, he said, uh, before he started reading the book, he said, so when it comes time to it, how do we pitch this to our friends because of that? Right. So, so many 
Christian fiction books and movies are all about chasing your dreams and your dreams coming true and romance and things like that. Mm -hmm. But is this going to follow that suit or not? And I just wanted it to be real to life. And uh, before the show, you and I were talking about one of the characters. He he has a smoking habit. Right. (laughs) And that was my experience. I don't know what high school kids do these days uh, when it comes to smoking, but I, I think I might have been part of the last generation of high school kids where smoking really was cool. Um, and, man, I'm showing my age if, okay. if that's still the case or not the case. Uh, I just don't know. But, but you know, I wanted one of the main characters to have that that in his life. He was a smoker just because so so many of the kids that I grew up with, they were smokers. And, and the text every now and then says, Brandon swore. Right. Uh, it doesn't spell out the swear word, but he swears um, because you shouldn't expect um, a non-Christian or an atheist to have perfectly polished language. Um, now, I, I want this to be a clean book that any parent can feel comfortable giving to their teenage kids. So that's why, of course, and personally, I wouldn't be comfortable spelling out those words sure. on paper anyway. But I wanted it to be real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if this ever uh, makes it to the screen. I want it to be gritty and something that uh, it's going to have a, a little bit. Of, you know, this is a real movie. I mean, this is a movie about real life. This isn't just polished and perfect and fluffy. Right. Well, and you mentioned, you know, that it's not always happily ever after. It's, you know, but so many of those Christian movies are of just everything goes the way everyone wants them to. But one of the other elements of those, I mean, I brought up God's Not Dead. It's the, the determined, loving Christian kid and the mean atheist and mm. that kind of trope. Whereas in this book, you know, you made them very real. Like you said, smoking and, and you know, it, he says it says he swore or whatever else. But they're okay people, you know, and, and yeah. the Bible, or not the Bible, the, the book itself addresses that the Bible allows for, you know, there are going to be hypocritical Christians and there are going to be, you know, people in the world who live with morals and, and aren't, inherently evil just because they're not christian uh it it makes them very real people and i think that's something that is so often missing in in christian fiction i appreciate that very much all right Uh, i wanted to get around to this i mentioned this earlier on um about evangelism you brought up friendship it was a a very big part of this book Um, that's one of the things uh, there are a few things i think christians can learn from these characters about evangelism go into some of those lessons you think that that can be picked up from the example of of the characters yeah well i think about the struggle that i have in evangelism and i'm I'm constantly trying to set bible studies with people and when i do um you know if i meet a stranger and i'm able to set a bible study with them very often our our relationship centers around only that bible study Mm -hmm. and in most cases that turns out to be fine but there is that old saying, and it's a good saying for a reason. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to pull that out, that the Christian, he he goes out on a limb, he makes a huge sacrifice for somebody in need, Mm -hmm. and that's before he ever uh, offers to explain himself as a Christian. Um, it's, It's before he even encourages reading of Bible verses or anything like that. He, mm-hmm. he just puts himself out there asking for nothing in return. He's not asking for a Bible study in return. He's not asking for, hey, go to church with me. He's just, if you're in need, I'm going to sacrifice for you. Right. And that kind of friendship, as you said, it, it's the key to people buying, people listening, people, uh, again, the kind of people in the story, as I just mentioned, very 
real people we meet from day to day who have problems with Christianity, who view Christians as hypocrites or whatever else, you do have to win them over by your actions sometimes before the words. And so uh, the, the friendship, the relationship building that, that you mentioned, um, one of the other things of just being ready to give an answer, uh, you know, is, is something that uh, you run into with the characters in the book is that there are going to be these questions. You don't have to know every last verse in the Bible, but the questions that people are asking today are the questions that are asked in this book, and Christians need to know uh, answers to these things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the, the things that revolutionized my personal evangelism about five years ago is, well, I'll tell you what it was like before that moment, is I... I went around telling people what the truth was. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, that was fine for people who were ready to listen. Right. But then a Christian challenged me with evangelism, and he said, from now on, you, it's not your job to tell them anything. Um, it's your job to help them discover it for themselves. And earlier, I would have thought, yeah, that is my job. I, I tell them what the Bible says, and then I show it to them in the Bible so they can see that what I just said is true. But... Um, but he said, no, no, it should be the other way around where where they're asking a question and you don't give them a single answer from your words. You just guide them to the right answer. And uh, and with the, the character doing that in this book, uh, the primary tool, if that's your goal, is to help people discover the truth on their own. The primary tool is questions, primarily open questions, mm -hmm. asking a question that you can't just shut down by saying no to. But you ask an open question, what are your thoughts about that? And what do you think about how this works? And and explore things together with open questions. And I really wanted to pull that through to show Christians that we're really good at telling people uh, stuff. But we need to be better at asking questions. Right. And that's I really like the way it's done in the book of making them wrestle with hard questions. You know, making them wrestle with... Is Jesus real? Is, is Does the Bible really hold any value? Any of these things of, as you mentioned, just asking the questions. Because you can come at somebody all day long and say, here's how it is, this is the truth, whatever else. Maybe they take that or maybe they don't. But put a question in their mind, you know, give a little background to it. And, and so I think that's, that's something the book does very well. Um, you mentioned uh, possibly reading a, a little section from the book. Do you have some you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. I could read the prologue, and if you think we have time, I, I can even get into chapter one. But Sure, sure. We can. Uh, all right, well, here goes the prologue. Francine looked over her shoulder every minute or so as she walked down an East Nashville sidewalk. The events of the past few months had put her on edge, but tonight was a break. She crossed over an old stone bridge and glanced at her watch. It was late but Genevieve would understand. She climbed the four steps of her friend's porch, a small wooden box tucked under her arm, peeked over her shoulder again, and knocked. The door opened, revealing Genevieve's worried face. Hi, Francine. Come in, she said, forcing a smile. Coffee? No, I can't stay long. Barry's shift will be over soon. Brandon's asleep. Genevieve stepped aside, ushering Francine in. They both sat down at the dining table. I came to bring you this, Francine said, sliding the old cigar box toward her friend. If anything were to happen to me, she paused and took a deep breath before continuing, I need you to give this to Brandon. Fran uh, Genevieve frowned. Frankie, I'm serious. Promise me you'll do it. 
Fine, she sighed. I promise. But how long are you going to put up with this? It's just a phase. You know Barry's job is stressful. He works hard for us. A phase? Phase or no phase, you don't deserve any of this. Maybe I do, you know? I haven't been a good wife lately. Genevieve reached over and pulled up Francine's sleeve. You're not a good wife? Tell me, what kind of husband does that? Francine jerked her arm back. I'm not here to talk about this. Just keep it safe, got it? Girl, you know I'm here for you, Genevieve said gently. When have I let you down? Never. Thank you. The corners of Francine's mouth curled up a bit. She stood. I've got to get going, but one more thing. Genevieve also stood, cradling the box in her hands. Anything. How's your shoulder? Fine, she replied, a note of surprise in her voice. Fully recovered. Surgery was almost a year ago. Good. I was wondering, do you still have your medicine? You know, the stuff that helped you sleep in the beginning? End scene. <laughs> All right, well, as you can see, uh, very serious, deep themes explored even from the start. Uh, some some things that uh, might be a little uncomfortable uh, in our world, but as we talked about, it's, it's very real characters, and so... Uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, tell us, first of all, where can we get it? Uh, as, as I mentioned, we're recording this ahead of time. We're going to release it late July. Can't guarantee that it's going to be uh, out in paperback exactly yet, but soon. Uh, so where can they get it? Yeah, so right now the Kindle edition is due to be released on the 26th of July. So by the time you hear this, you can snag the Kindle edition, and it should be less than 4 bucks. And um, beat that. Yeah, and it's 380 pages long, so that's almost twice as long as either of my previous two books. Mm. Now, we're aiming to get the paperback released as well about that time, so hopefully by the time you, you hear this, uh, the paperback will also be available. And um, both can be gotten on Amazon, Amazon.com, and then eventually I hope to have it in stock at my personal store at LanceMosierBooks.com. And as usual, I'll, I'll probably have it cheaper on my website but that won't be further down the line right. i'll try to make it as cheap as possible all right uh, spell uh, mosher form lancemosherbooks.com yes m-o-s-h-e-r and uh, you can find any of my books on amazon just by searching my name lance mosher all right now you mentioned uh, there's going to be an audiobook for it is that correct Yes, um, and we have no idea how long it's going to take to get that released. My goal originally was to have it released by the end of the year so that people who have New Year's resolutions to listen to and read books, it'll be out in the market by then. Cool. But we've actually run into a little interesting snag about the uh, audiobook production. Okay. Uh, anything you can share? or? <laughs> yeah, it, it has to do with the big um, uh, the, the concern about race right now oh, yeah. is... Right now in Hollywood, uh, there are a lot of actors who are, and I think at its core this is probably a good thing, but there are the actors who are agreeing to, to no longer voice uh, oh, characters right, right. that are a different race than they are. And I had my, um, my narrator lined up and everything to do this, and then suddenly, of course, one of my main characters is a, of a different race than the narrator, mm -hmm. and he's doing some soul-searching at the moment, and I don't blame him one bit. We don't want this to backfire on us. Right. But Hollywood is one thing. Audiobooks are a totally different thing because it's not normal to have dual narrators unless you're dealing with gender differences. Right. Um, 
And so we're just not exactly sure how we're going to go about this and how it's going to actually affect the budget of the production. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll, we'll still aim to have it by the end of the year, but we just don't know. Yeah, boy, that's an interesting challenge. Uh, that uh, good luck with that. But um, yeah, that uh, I mean, you, as you said, it's probably a good thing, probably for the best long term. But uh, hopefully, you're able to to find a solution that works and uh, be able to have audiobook as soon as possible. Yeah, and just as with the text, you know, I, I wanted it to be written very sensitively, and and I wanted my friends who are of different races to read it and to make sure that I'm not doing anything that's going to backfire or to look stereotypical or racist. And same thing with the audiobook. We we don't want this down the line to be rejected by by listeners because we were insensitive and in the moment making decisions. So right, yeah, you know, that, that hopefully, sensitivity goes a long way. You know, people realize yeah. that you're, you're trying to get this right yeah all right well uh as i said it it is a very fascinating book it's the kind that keeps you turning pages Uh, i've got a little bit left to finish but i'm I'm very much looking forward to finishing it myself Uh, if you're listening definitely go check it out Uh, as he's mentioned lancemosierbooks.com amazon.com pre-order it kindle it paperback however you like getting a hold of your books Uh, lance thanks for joining us i really appreciate it thank you very much jack this was a pleasure We will catch you guys next time on Too Many Books.